Indeed, the war goes on and it intensifies. And thank you, Lord God, that you have already won the battle. The battle belongs to you. And we thank you, Lord, for the precious word of promise that you have made to us through faith, through Jesus Christ, to prevail against all evil, all tribulation, all trials, all discouragements, because you have won the victory. We thank you, Lord God, that your kingdom come and that your will be done. And we can imagine how much faith you have to have to believe that that's going to happen in the midst of what we look at right now. But we know your kingdom is coming, and we know that there's nothing that can stop it because you are God. We also thank you, Lord God, for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so willingly given to us, for us, in taking the stand against death, against Satan, and in our favor to bring us to the place of life and restoration, even to restore unto us salvation and the powers that we had in the beginning over darkness that he gave Adam and Eve as the authority. We thank you, Lord God, that you said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And we thank you for those promised words. We thank you also for the divine protection that no weapon formed against us will prosper. The shields of God up over and against all the words that have been spoken against each of us by the enemy through others, that their words will not fall to the ground and bring forth nothing, that Satan cannot use them to bring forth any shame, trouble, reproach, difficulties, or troubles in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, for the wisdom and counsel of your word. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, for giving us now eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive that revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, today we're going to be talking about the battle of faith, with faith, in faith, the battle for faith, faith. You know, walking in faith, and to do that, actually, as the Lord commands us, uh, and, you know, where it says in John seven twenty four that the just shall live by, or the, I'm sorry, that's uh, Romans one seventeen. the just shall live by faith. But in um, John seven twenty four, he says, um, not to base our, uh, our judgments upon appearances. He says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So faith is living beyond the natural realm of sight. It, it doesn't make judgments based on appearances. That's what the Lord just said. Don't make your judgments based on appearances, the way things look, but, ba- but base it on righteous judgment. Base it upon the word and promises of God. And so even as the just are commanded to live by faith, most of us live our lives by facts. Um, you know, and so the biggest obstacle to receiving answers to prayer, which is the biggest obstacle, in other words, to faith, is reasoning trying to receive our answers, looking at reality, the way things look, what they look like, what they feel like. And so we're always swamped or surrounded by those thoughts and those feelings coming out of our mind, coming through the, fi- the fear filters of our lives um, to be afraid and not to believe. Um, so we're reluctant. Actually, really, this is common. We're, we're reluctant to give up our logical, common sense-based minds to walk in the mind of Christ. We look at and examine our situations and current troubles and health issues and circumstances through the lenses of thinking and feeling and using our natural minds, our rational minds, in, uh, to, as opposed to knowing and believing what God says in his word. 
Um, you know, it says in Acts, never remember. We don't remember that. The, it says, Paul says the, uh, the, um, that we must enter into the kingdom through many tribulations. That's how we walk. That's how we enter into the kingdom of God, through tribulations. And so we don't see those tribulations as stepping stones into the kingdom. We see them as obstacles and uh, uh, points of discouragement. The word and the promises of God are throughout the scripture and are in every story. Think about the Old Testament, the New Testament, the, ca- the characters that were defined and described in there, how they defy logic and reality to push them past those things that would be reasonable into the place where God is asking them to take a stand. Um, they surrendered, they surrendered and, and, and we have to too, the way things look, the way things feel, you know, into the place of trusting into, in the goodness and the faithfulness and the love of God. This is really where the test, all tests kind of boil down to the bottom line. The point of the pivot is where is God faithful to keep his word? Is he going to come through? Is he going to keep his promises? And then uh, we are, we falter on that because then the enemy comes and says, but you don't have faith. You don't have enough faith. So we're, we're tormented on this torture rack between having faith, having enough faith and God's faithfulness to keep his word and fulfill his promises. When you think about, for example, the, in the old Testament, Moses, you know, he was put before Pharaoh and every time the plagues came down, um, the people got more upset. Pharaoh got more upset. And finally, the people themselves came to Moses and said, ah, we don't want to do this anymore. Um, this isn't working. Moses, we don't have any confidence in you. You said this would happen. They'd let us go, but no, it's not happening. And so we're withdrawing our vote of confidence from you. That was, you know, what Moses had to face even before he got to the Red Sea. And then, of course, at the Red Sea, we know all of that um, difficulty as well, where he had to stand and having done all he had to stand. And, and of course, we see Abraham, too, who had been promised a son, the son of promise from through Sarah. And it was 25 years later, and he still hadn't received the son. And so he got a little panicky and took another option and decided to go ahead with what Sarah had suggested and use Hagar as a surrogate mother. And of course, you know, they these men were tested in their faith. Think about Jesus himself. I don't know if we ever think about what faith Jesus must have had to, first of all, stand with and agree with his father that he was who the Lord God said he was. Satan came to him in the garden and says, well, who do you think you are? If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread, jump off this temple, uh, fall down and worship me. And so the, the identity, the question of Jesus's identity was ever before him. Now, um, I'm sure Satan would, would have brought things into his mind like, uh, you know, if you're the son of God, how, how can that be? You have brothers and sisters. You have a human mother. You eat food and you get dirty. How do you think you're anything different or special uh, than these people who suffer and struggle? Um, so Jesus himself, I'm sure, had to take his stand on the word of God, knowing that he was who God said he was. When God was baptized, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus stood with that. He, he worked hand in hand with his father. At, at some point, there was no uh, discussion anymore, I'm sure, in his mind. But I'm sure in the beginning, as we see in the temptation, the enemy was raising that issue of identity and faith. Was he really the son of God? Um, and then, but Jesus kept connecting back with his father with every miracle, every word, every sermon, saying, I always do those things that please my father. 
So he was absolutely one with the Father in all these things. He was the expressed image of God. You say, but that's Jesus. Well, Jesus suffered in all points like as unto us, yet he did not sin. So we see that the battle for faith, to believe what God says, that's really what faith is, to believe what God says is, the, is, is really a battle that goes on between our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, and our soul-based reality that our mind, will, and emotions draw from, you know, what it looks like, the facts, what it feels like, what are people saying, that reality, the soul draws on that base of reality, as opposed to walking in the spirit. And in, in, in the first Corinthians 2, 9 through 11, it starts out uh, in that chapter, uh, midway, he says, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So the things that we have been prepared for us, heaven, eternity, righteousness, justice, um, these things our eyes have not seen, our ears have not heard, our natural ears, our natural eyes, they cannot seem to enter into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So then how do we believe if our hearts and our minds can't comprehend it and our, fear and our physical senses cannot give it to us or, or bring it to us? Then the next verse says, but God has revealed those things to us through his spirit, he says, for the spirit searches all the things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? So God is using his spirit to bear witness to our spirit, to bring these pieces of information, revelation, knowledge, faith, truth, reality, the promises of God to us, not through our soul, but through our spirit. Um, but in the process of walking out our faith, uh, we, waff, we waffle many times, all the time, probably constantly, between faith and and what God says, between what things look like and what God says. We're tempted to be double-minded, and double-mindedness brings instability, and we know what James says about that. He says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Let's read it. James chapter 1, he says, let's start with verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Anybody in a various trial today? A trial of your faith, trial for health, trial for family relationships, trials for deliverance. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So why is our faith being tested? Why does God let Satan test our faith to bring forth patience? What is patience? Well, that's endurance and perseverance. That's standing and, and having done all to stand in the evil days. That's what Ephesians says. How do you defeat the devil? By standing and having done all to stand. Um, so then he goes on to say, if any of you lack wisdom, I'm sorry, verse four, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. So we see faith and wisdom are being connected here. With no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. And that's exactly what Satan tries to do, is push us between that no man's land of, is, he God, is God going to answer me or not? Is this true or is this not true? Can I believe or what, what does this look like? I don't know. We get into that I don't know double-minded place, and then James says that man does not receive his answers to prayer. But of course, we know that our faith always wavers, and we know God knows that as well. But if you look at, even go back for the, the author of James for a second, James the brother of Jesus Christ, half-brother of Jesus Christ. They had the same mother, but they had uh, different fathers. 
Now, do you imagine how it would be for you to be the half-brother of Jesus Christ who lives in your family? His, he's the older brother, of course, and uh, he kind of runs the show after dad dies. But James had a hard time believing Jesus was who he said he was. He was actually one of the last ones to come in. He wasn't one of the apostles. He was a latter, one of the disciples that came later, but he also was converted and wrote the book of James. So we see that Jesus struggled with his identity, possibly, as the devil would tempt anyone, as he tempted Jesus. And James, I'm sure, did the same. But they had to come to a a stable conclusion that God, it is how God says it is. So when James says, count it all joy, you know, that faith produces patience, endurance, and, and helps us to stand, then we need to say, yeah, these guys were real people. They had struggles too. Um, following doesn't always look like, you know, when we follow Jesus, when we follow walk, and walk by faith, it, it doesn't always look like running or leaping or walking or riding. Sometimes it looks like stumbling, crawling, and falling forward. It, you know, it's moving forward, but it's not, uh, you know, always with the greatest of ease. Um, first, Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eight, kind of talks about that again as well. He says, in verse four eight, he says, "We are we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down." but not destroyed, always carrying about in uh, the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. So he's saying we're hard-pressed on every side. What's, what are we being hard-pressed about? To believe, to keep going, to trust God no matter what it looks like, no matter what reality says, no matter what the doctor says, to be hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, crushed, per- perplexed. I don't get this. Why is this happening? I, you know, Why me, God? What did I do? All these questions. I must have done something. It's my fault, blah, blah, blah. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution for their faith, for their stand in believing God and what God says and God's faithfulness. They're all, we're all going to be tested, challenged, attacked, accused, persecuted. He says persecuted, but not forsaken. Look at all the martyrs, how they had to stand for what they believed, regardless of how they felt or what was going on around them. And they prevailed and they brought glory to God. And, and that was their, their final hour of glory and victory. But they were not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So we understand that this battle uh, uh, for your faith, to stand in faith, to believe God no matter what, is a, a battle that is very common. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's, the, it's the natural order of events when you follow Jesus. So they were tempted to be cast down, tempted to be perplexed and give up and can get confused, tempted to walk away. But where do you go? Like Peter says, where, where can we go? Um, Jesus says, are you going to go and forsake me too? And Peter says, well, where can we go? Now we just think about it. Where can you go? Are you going to go to the devil for mercy? He doesn't have any mercy for us. He doesn't have any compassion for us. Um, but we're going to fall forward. We're going to see that we have to, that the war is between reality what it looks like, the facts, the appearances of things, and the truth of what God says. So through falling forward and through tribulations and trials and the life challenges, whether it be in your health or your faith or your strength or impurity, it's all being worked together for good. All things work together for good, God says, to those who love God. And so it's working to bring us into complete agreement with the Father, including the revelation of who God is and his goodness to us. 
this is one of the big issues. The biggest issue, I think, for all of us is what Satan puts up as, is God really faithful? Does he really love you? Is he really going to keep his word? Look at what I can do to hurt you, to distract you, to subtract from you all the good things of God. Look at how I can hurt you. And where is God? Where is he? Where is he? I thought he was going to help you, blah, blah, blah. And so these kinds of conversations are going on racing sometimes through our minds and our hearts. And we don't realize that your mind and your heart is your soul and you have another option. You can walk in the spirit and disregard the conversations in your soul by saying the just shall live by faith, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The flesh is the body and the soul that argue against the spirit. Our, our challenge here is to walk in complete agreement with God, um, including and crying out for the revelation of God that he is good. He's a good heavenly father. Notice he's, he's identifying himself in the New Testament as a father. Jesus brought the concept of God the father to us as a father, a father to the fatherless. And we understand uh, he's all, he is a father to all of us. But most of us have had fathers that are not a good example or a good experience uh, from which to base our concept of God. You know, even the best of our fathers were fall terribly short of what the good heavenly father is about. But so this concept of God as father is a, is a concept of being in relationship with someone who loves you, who cares about you, who created you, who validates you, who brought you forth, who's com committed to keeping you, regardless of if you're able to keep yourself or not. This is the, the heavenly father, the protections of God, his goodness and his love. But most of us really still feel very alone and abandoned down here for the most part, afraid, anxious, nervous, panicky. And when you get to that feeling of alone, feeling you're on your own, that's when the enemy really moves into your mind to try to take hold of anything he can. And you know, some of us, all of us actually, we're no match for the devil. None of us are any match for his wit or for his, his uh, influence or for, for his temptations, except through God, through the, the truth of God's word. So when you're being attacked, we have weapons. One of them is the word of God. You can speak the word of God against the lies of the devil. You can quote a scripture, God is faithful, he'll never leave us, whatever you want. You can use the sword of God's word, which is actually the word of God, and separate yourself from that thing. You can plead for the blood of Jesus. You can ask for the, um, the testimony of Jesus Christ to bear witness to you, to defend you, the Holy Spirit to come and, and prevail. There's many things that we can do, but we have to ask. We have to be aware that we have these weapons at our disposal. So the challenge is really, it can, do we, can we believe, have faith in the goodness of our Heavenly Father, that he's good, and he's good all the time, because the, the religious entities of the world that have counterfeited the gospel of grace and good news have de devised a way, divided us in our thoughts and con uh, comprehensions about the goodness of God. Uh, it, all of the renditions are all to divide and separate and put a big question mark on the goodness and faithfulness of God in our lives. And if your church or your denomination or where you're going to worship puts a big question mark on the goodness and faithfulness of God and puts it back on you, you've got to do this, this, and this for God to do that, that, and that, then you better examine what church, what religion, what doctrine you are following. The best faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The best way to get it straight is to get it yourself, to go into the word yourself and begin to read it and read it through the power and, and assistance of the Holy Spirit. Um, because we are called to be the epistles of the good news and the grace of God. That's what Paul says, your epistles known and read of all men. Um, so what are they reading? 
when they look at us, um, when they see us? Are they looking at wavering, fear, unbelief, doubt, um, condemnation, double-mindedness? Uh, or are they looking at someone who's been kept by the goodness and the faithfulness of God? Are they reading in our books, of epi- in the epistles, are they reading lines that have been crossed out with confusion and, and disputes and bitter disruptions and bitter uh, attitudes towards God? and questioning the goodness of God, you know, those things that are concluded and conducted in our natural minds, are, are they going to read about angry outbursts and fear and unbelief and fierce holding on to the way things are, the way things look, the way things feel, as opposed to walking in the Spirit of God? What are they going to read when they look at your life? What example? What are they seeing? Are they seeing a consistent strong walk with God, no matter what it looks like or feels like? Or are they going to see the wavering and faltering? And you know what? It's okay to waver and falter because God is there even in the, in the faltering. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. He just wants us to follow him. He doesn't, you know, sometimes, like I said, that following is like creeping, crawling, falling down, uh, falling forward. And, And yet at the same time, God knows our hearts and he knows what he's doing. So ultimately the bottom line, final vote of your faith comes from the Lord himself, who is faithful to keep you in your faith in him. Um, so there, there's a many that um, tr- are, are troubled over faith, um, the trials, the trials and the tribulations and the fear and the demonic assaults that come against us, come against the word and promises of God that play out in our everyday lives. We don't realize that we are in these spiritual battles on a daily basis and that to overcome, as Ephesians 6 says, to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand against the wiles and treacherous assaults of the enemy, we have to declare our faith. I mean, you know, the, the battle is against our faith. If Satan can get you to not believe, give up, turn around, go back, de- denounce the Lord. If he can get you to do that, then he's got more agreements he can use out of your mouth to use against you. So the battle we understand belongs to the Lord, but the battle is fought in our lives through our, between our, our souls and our spirits and our mind and our heart. They're, they're, they're throwing out your mind, your heart, your mouth are throwing out reasonings and reality and religion and, and issues of responsibility. They're warring against what God says, the truth of God's word, that you are forgiven. You are here, his um, that don't go with appearances, go with what God says in his word. God does not lie. God keeps his promises. Uh, what did Abraham have to war, war against? Well, the reality of his wife getting old, uh, the, the, the promises had been super delayed. Um, you know, maybe God was mad. Maybe God had changed his mind. Maybe God wasn't going to do what he said. All of these things had to be troublesome to Abraham from time to time. And yet he kept walking and following and, and, and believing God and God's word knowing and trusting that God did not lie. Remember, the first thing God told him to do was to get up from his father's house when he was probably in his, I don't know how old he was, maybe 40, 50, and get out and out of your father's house, out of that place of idols and idolatry and follow me and I'll take you to a new land, a promised land, a, plant, a land filled with milk and honey. I will give it to you. So Abraham, his whole life, his whole, his whole life, everything about him began with a step of faith in turning away from the the reality and the common world that he was in to follow God and what God wanted and what God said. Because God wanted to make of him not just a family, but a nation uh, and with him to bless the nations of the earth. 
So Abraham didn't know all that. All he knew was, okay, I, I'm going to follow you, God. And then it got harder. And then it got harder. And then it got harder, even to the point where supposedly, you know, you know, God had asked him to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. But Abraham knew enough about God to know that that would not be God doing that. But he went on with it. He agreed with it. He uh, did what he was told to, to do until God directed him to the very top of the mountain. And, and Abraham says, when Isaac said, where's the sacrifice, dad? He says, well, the Lord will provide. And so e- Abraham's faith was counting on God to get him out of this mess, even though it appeared like um, it was God who was telling him to do this. And in fact, it was a, a, a huge test because God, well, God was not testing his faith because God already knew what he would do. And Abraham passed the test because he trusted in God, bottom line. And there was a ram in the thicket that he was able to sacrifice and all was well at the end of that test. But so many times we don't get to that point of seeing God come through. We, we panic, we freak out, um, we you know slip into the place of fear and doubt, double-mindedness and turn back, turn around, get despairing, take some meds, do whatever we do to, to try to comfort ourselves, eat a piece of chocolate cake, whatever we do to try to fill the empty, fill the void, and we don't just go back to the Lord and cry out to him and say, God, have mercy upon me. Um, you know, because when we pray, you know, it's many times we pray, but when we don't get the answer, it's like um, our faith is flushed down the toilet, you know, like an unclean thing. It's disregarded. It's removed. It doesn't work. It doesn't count. We don't want it. Um, the, and, the, and again, the, the Bible says, let not that one believe that he will receive anything from the Lord because a double-minded man, as James says, is unstable. Now, double-mindedness is not from God. Double-mindedness is the effect of the war between your soul and your spirit. I don't know what's going to happen. All those questions are coming up out of your soul, out of your mind, will, and emotions to challenge the stand that you've, you've made and taken in the spirit. I, I believe God, standing and having done all they stand. Um, but the other, so the, the back and forth um, is what we, we go with, what it looks like, what other people are saying. Um, but, but, but truth can only be instituted or acted upon through faith. We, we believe God, and when that faith comes, it supports and brings wisdom and truth with it. Um, so the thing is, you know, look at the man. Look at the man who brought his son to Jesus. Let's look at the other side of the faith coin for a second, the, the other side of the truth coin of faith. On the one side, we have God says, believe God, you know, that the just shall live by faith. On the other side, we have the man who brought his demonized epileptic son to Jesus and said, Lord, help my unbelief. Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible. And then the man says, Lord, help my unbelief. So he cried out and he recognized that he didn't have enough faith. But the, but the Lord, that didn't stop Jesus anyway. He just proceeded to cast out the demon. And so the man's unbelief was actually turned to faith at the moment he turned it over to Jesus and confessed it as fear. So the minute you confess your fear, as unbelief and confess it to the Lord, it becomes instantly faith because you've just given it to God and confessed the doubt, the struggle, the unbelief, and turn, it's been turned towards God. It's been given to God, and so God turns it into faith um, because you're crying out to God. So God is the one who understands all the battle. So he understands you've cried out to him, you've asked him for something. So when you're struggling with faith, 
Turn your unbelief over to God. Say, God, help my unbelief. And then Jesus will proceed to do what he does with those who have faith. And your faith comes from turning your unbelief over to God. That's the other cool side of faith. So Jesus had compassion on the man and he healed and, and his son. And he actually delivered many when they cried out to him. Um, let's look for a, a second in Luke 8, 26, if you want to turn there with me. Um, the, you know, I think that's the one I went looking for. He looked on the, on the 826. Hold on. Um, oh, that's the other one I was going to talk to you about, the, de the demoniac. Remember, he was, Jesus came to the, the country of the Gadareans opposite on the other side of Galilee. And when he stepped out, he was met by a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes. And they had tried to chain him. And he didn't live in a house, but he lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, what have I to do with you, son of David, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now notice here, this is very interesting. And in Matthew 8, we have the same story. Um, and in Mark also, verse chapter 5, we notice two things happening here that we don't, we actually don't notice that we notice in the crying out of this man in chap Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Um, they came to the Gadarenes, it's the same story, um, and there met him, a man dwelling in the tombs, who no one could bind, not even with chains. He had been often bound in sh with shackles and broke them apart. Uh, always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Then when, they, he, saw, then when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, period. In se verse 7, and he cried out with a loud voice, and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Now notice, you think the same, this man is out of the same mouth is coming two different and opposite things. On the one, the first response uh, utterance is to worship. He fell down and worshiped Jesus. And then the second utterance is, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high? Have you come to hurt me and torment me? Get out of here. So, these aren't two, they're not from the same source. We have the man crying out first, worshiping, falling down. And then immediately following that, we have the utterance of the demon who says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. So you see that the, the, the man had faith. He fell down, worshiped, cried out for help. But the demon f followed right on his heels and said, get out of here. What have I to do with you? I don't want you. So this is a lot of times what's going on in out of our mouth are coming two opposite things. And we have to recognize that the spirit of fear, unbelief, doubt, double-mindedness that might dwell in your mind, dwell in your heart, is trying to stop you from worshiping God and asking for help. We don't understand this. We don't agree. We, we don't even acknowledge that this is a possibility, that there could be another thing in there like doubt, fear, un unbelief, double-mindedness, confusion. I say, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, poor me. You know, I, they're all there. But what, where are they coming from? This is the simple, simplest thing to solve. Are they coming from heaven? Or are they coming from hell? Obviously, the man worshiping Jesus was coming from heaven. That thought, that spirit of God letting, leading him to worship. And the second one, what, what do we have to do with you, son of God? You've come to torment me. This is, this is a spirit of accusation. This is a spirit of, of condemnation against God. So these two different spirits coming out of the same man's mouth about back to back. Now, this is, uh, this is the battle of faith. You have to decide whose report you're going to believe. Are you going to believe the one that's coming out of your mouth that says, I don't know what to do? Or are you going to say the one, I believe God no matter what? You're going to have to choose. That's the, that you, get to, you get to vote on this. 
You know, nobody is going to, um, you know, the, 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 nobody can tamper with the ballots. You get to vote, yes or no. I'm going to believe God no matter what, or I'm not going to believe him. And Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, we have another very cool um, uh, description, I guess you'd say, of Jesus when he was with the multitudes. And he said, verse 35 of Matthew 9, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, that would be the good news, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the, tr- the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the har- harvest to send out labors into his harvest field. Who are willing to go out into the harvest field and, and bring these people to faith, bring them to hope, bring them to healing, bring them to encouragement, bring them to the Lord, harvest them, reap them when Satan is trying to crush them, smash them, scatter them, and leave them hopeless. He saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion. So if you don't have enough faith, Jesus does. He does. Jesus' faith is expressed in his compassion when he would save and heal and deliver his scattered and oppressed people, the frightened sheep. He wants to do that deliverance and healing and saving and gathering through you and I. We cannot be double-minded about this. We must know that we know that we know that God is about the harvest. God is about truth. God does not lie. God is faithful no matter what it looks like. Give up on what it looks like. Give up on reality. Give up on trying to make sense out of the senseless. Unless you put the devil in the equation, this whole world makes no sense. It will make no sense unless you stop being so stubborn and frightening and put frightened and put the devil in the equation to see that this is a war between God and Satan for your faith for your soul, for your healing, for your life. And you, as I'm speaking this, you know that. You already know that in your spirit because God put you in, that in your spirit to know that, that this is a war. Now you can settle down and decide that God knows what he's talking about and follow God. I don't care if you have to crawl. I don't care if to creep on your belly. Keep going in the direction of God. That's all you need to do. Follow him. He will take care of the speed. He'll take care of the distance. He'll give you the strength to do it. So he wants us to walk in faith so that our faith, is in him. He says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. You can say to the mulberry bush, be plucked up. If you have faith, not, I, faith means what? It means, Father God, I believe you. I believe that you're good. I believe you're faithful. I believe what you said. I believe your word. I believe salvation. I believe everything you plan to do and want to do and did do and are doing. I believe you. I do not believe what it looks like, what it feels like. I do not believe what reality is trying to tell me when the truth tells me something opposite. Reality says Jesus was a bloody mess when he died on the cross and did no good. Truth says he's the sacrificed lamb of God who just got sacrificed for your salvation, for your atonement, for your, and shed his blood for your lives to be set free. So you can go with what it looks like and you will keep going around in a circle if you keep basing everything that you do and think and say on appearances, what it looks like, what I feel like. Instead, when those symptoms appear, or when that thought comes into your mind, uh, or comes out of your mouth as with the heart is full of mouth speak. So when you hear it, you say, oh, who said that? Where is that from? Where's that doubt? Where's that fear? Where's that, where's that anxiety? Where's that, oh no, where's that double mind? Where are you from? Heaven or hell? Now here's another simple and very difficult problem that most people have. They, they divide the kingdom of the, this world into three kingdoms. They have the kingdom of God, 
They have the kingdom of evil, Satan, and then they have this other kingdom that they throw everything into that they don't know and understand, like accidents and sicknesses and bad luck and, and, and unanswered prayer. We throw all that into that third kingdom of me, just me, or I don't know. Now, when you do that, you have a third kingdom. There's no answers to anything. You have to simplify it to yes or no, on or off, in or out, good or evil, God or Satan, like the computer does. Then you can say, okay, where's this from? Heaven or hell? You, you, have to, you have to identify the fact that we are in a real battle and this battle is daily. Satan is, he doesn't slumber or sleep at this point either. He's up at night stuffing your head with terrifying dreams, trying to psychologically recondition you, reprogram, reset the programs. He, you know, because, and you have to realize if you have dreams that reset the program to fear, anxiety, panic, you need to rebuke them. You say, no, you won't. When you wake up, I'm done with that. No, I'm not going to listen to that. And if you don't remember your dreams and you say, God, if there's anything in my dreams that wasn't of you, I rebuke it. I reject, reject it anyway. Because Satan tries to sometimes, you know, he does his dastardly deeds and then he hides and dis- dissipates, disassociates, and you don't know what happened. So the war is night and day, but Jesus Christ is simply faithful. He will complete the work, finish the work in you. Just let him do it. Don't, it's not up to you. Nothing in this world is up to you. That's the lie underneath witchcraft. I've got to do it. It's up to me. That is a lie. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say it's up to you. It didn't say that ever at all. It says, follow him, trust in him. Don't go with what it looks like. Go with what God says. God's word is God's character, God's faithfulness, God's promise. And you don't get faith by listening to everybody else. You get faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, reading it, looking at, reading it out loud, reading it to yourself, and then begin to discern whether the people you're listening to are preaching the faith of Jesus Christ or some mixed up version or modified uh, edition of the newest, latest religious Christianity mixtures. Get back into the Bible, read the word of God, read the stories, read, read the word of God. And begin to know the word, because you're going to have to. You're going to have to stand in having done all to stand and to withstand in this evil day. And you're not going to be able to be doubtful or double-minded. And if you get situations, like say you have a, uh, a daughter or son that's in trouble, or say that you have a, a, a I don't know, that you're, you, you need healing in your body, whatever, or somebody else. For yourself, it's much easier. If you've got to pray for someone else, you've got to deal with all their unbelief and stuff too. That makes it a little difficult. But if you have your own stuff, you say, Lord, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to put my hand right here on my elbow that's hurting right now. And I'm going to believe you to remove this spirit of fear, irritation, arthritis, pain, whatever it is you want to name it. I'm believing that the sword of your word will now separate that spirit of evil, infirmity, wickedness, sickness, whatever, off of my bones. And as a matter of fact, I am now asking you to forgive me for any bitterness or, or unforgiveness I have held or kept in my heart towards anybody in relationships that are causing my bones to now pick up that spirit of irritation and unforgiveness. I thank you, Lord, for healing me. I ask you to forgive me, and now I ask you to heal me. Those are the ways that these things work. So you take your hand, your hand, anoint your head with oil. Say the the anointing oil breaks the, the yoke of oppression off the neck and the shoulders. Get your oil, anoint yourself. The prayer of faith will save the sick. The yoke of oppression will break off on Isaiah ten twenty seven. It says that. So do be proactive. Go forward um, and fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Don't lay down, roll over, and play dead. Get up, stand, and rest in the fullness of God. And you know what? Wait upon the Lord. If He says, "I've got this," you're okay. You're okay then. And you say, "Well, I don't feel okay. I still feel panicky." Then tell panic to go to hell. 
because that's where he belongs, and tell the Lord to come in with his peace. This is, this is how we invite. This is how we pray. We ask God to help us, and we can be specific. God, I need you to remove this, this spirit of double-mindedness from me right now because it's, it's taken me out. Lord God, I believe you. I believe your word. You are good. You're faithful. Meditate on whatsoever things appear lovely, honest, just, and of good report. Help me, Lord, to meditate. Draw my mind into the truth. Gather me up so that I don't be scattered with the enemy's fear and persuasions. It's a fighting, uh, the good fight of faith, and remembering that the best, the best way to fight the battle is from a place of rest, resting, trusting, believing, knowing that you know God loves you. He's got this. He is faithful. And he is the one who is responsible to complete the work he's begun in you because he is the one who started it. He brought you forth. Therefore, he is the one who's responsible to bring you home safe to heaven. Now, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and know the truth. Walk in the spirit and disregard, cast out all of the dubious, doubtful, double-minded messages and many of, the, of them that come even through uh, the preachers and the pulpits, just just, just reject them. Reject them. If your spirit does not peaceful and receive them, then they're not from God because his spirit, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness in your spirit with what's good, right, and true. So if it doesn't settle in your spirit, then it's not from God. So Lord, I pray right now today that you would help us fight this good fight of faith, this wonderful fight of faith that you've already won, that you're faithful, that you're good, that we can rest our, our hope in, in your goodness. And th- for those who are tormented today, torn, double-minded, scattered in their minds, exhausted, weary, trying to fight this battle, that you give them your rest, that you speak but the word and their soul will be healed. Speak but the word and this affliction will be removed from them. Speak but the word and the spirit of infirmity will be gone. We de- declare that the spirits of infirmity and harassment that have come against the body of Christ, the believers, the remnant, that these spirits are now bound and cast out in the name of Jesus Christ, and that the fear of God take over where the fear of man was. Take over in the name of Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, by your peace, by your love, by your word, by your goodness, and let this be a time of great victory and peace and quiet and rest in the believers that they will be brought into that place of joy, counting it all joy, even when they fall into the diverse temptations and trials, Father God. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. And today we'd recommend if you want to check out with us, liferecovery.com. Why don't you think about getting something for your loved ones for Christmas, maybe like uh, the drama, audio drama series, God on Trial. God on Trial is, just check it out. Go listen to a sample. There's samples of every episode on the website. Check it out. See what you think. It's a it's a 28-episode series on the war between God and Satan for the souls of men told um, in the dra- dramatic form and through actors. Uh, through It talks about Satan's war against God, how he tries to stop God, how he tries to discredit God, and how Jesus Christ came to die for us. Super exciting adventure. That Check it out. God on trial. God bless you. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.